0: to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So we're going to start by looking at these first two verses here. So the psalmist cries out, it says, out of the depths. Um, The Hebrew word here literally means depths or deep. The psalmist feels, he's trying to describe, he feels as if he's somewhere deep below, such as a pit or a valley, maybe the bottom of the ocean. But the psalmist is not talking about physically being somewhere. Um, The word as used here implies deep affliction or dejection or distress. Distress. Now, I think most of us can relate and have felt like they've been in the depths before. Maybe you even feel like that this morning. Have you ever felt like you're down in the depths, in the pits, anyone? Um, The psalmist may have been afflicted by some sort of great loss. It doesn't give detail here, but he may have been afflicted by some sort of great loss. Um, Who's lost a loved one before? Or a family member, a friend? It's really hard. Um, The pain and affliction that comes with losing someone you love is a good description of these depths that the psalmist is crying out from here. Um, who in here is dealt with or is dealing with the affliction of physical pain or suffering? Anyone? Um, that's also a, a good good description for the, the depths he's crying out from here. I was talking to someone the other day who's dealing with shingles, and he said the pain is something that you cannot describe and you cannot understand until you go through it yourself. Um, he said, "I can't even put into words what it's like," um, but he asked that I would pray for him. And I know that there's quite a few of you in here as you just raise your hands that struggle with different physical afflictions, and sometimes it can feel like you are in the depths of despair, right? So these depths—that's um, one one description. And another, another description um, it could also be used to describe the weight of guilt or sin upon someone. So, we've, uh, we've read it before, but I just want us to look briefly at Psalm 32, um, because there's a description here that correlates when we're talking about sin. It says in Psalm 32, verse 3, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of sun, summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity, and I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So he's talking here about sin, and he's talking about the, the weight that it can uh, leave on you. Um, when we carry around unconfessed sin and we let it have our way with our lives you can feel like you're in the depths. A lot of times we try to cover that up. We don't want people to see that, but it can feel that way because we are down in the pit of sin. Sin leads to brokenness and it leads to death and it weighs heavy on you. Has anyone ever experienced that before? Have you ever been like in that place where sin has weighed heavily on you? Anyone? So you know, you know what I'm talking about. You can feel in the depths. And lastly, these depths could also describe just the distress of our mind and our emotions over various things. Has anyone ever felt depressed or disappointed before? I would assume most of us have. If you've ever felt like you don't have any joy, um, a lot of different things can cause that, whether it's our own sin, sometimes it's the sin of others or the fallenness of our world. Um, We can be disappointed in the choices that people close to us make. Um, Our bodies break down. I'm already starting to feel a little bit of that. Um, I would imagine some of you in here older than me can say amen to that even more. Um, but our minds can suffer afflictions too. Like the fall affected our whole bodies, including including our brains. Um, but there's other things in our lives that can cause us to feel depressed or disappointed. Um, you might see the sorrows of other people and feel overwhelmed. Some of you are really Um, empathetic, and you see somebody suffering, and you just take that upon yourself. Um, We might see the wickedness of our culture and humanity and feel despair. I was talking to someone the other day, and he was just overwhelmed with despair, looking at how dark things looked in our culture. Um, We may weep over those that we love who don't know Jesus and sometimes feel like there's no hope for them. But um, those are some different different descriptions here of the depths. But has anyone in the past few months felt like you were you can relate to some of those things? Any of them? Yeah. Um, so I encourage you. This psalm today is for you. This psalm is for you. Whatever the depths are that you might be in right now, you have the privilege to call out upon our Lord and Savior. When you are in the depths, it is right for you to call upon Jesus. So sometimes we are in the depths um, because we've taken our eyes off of the Lord and we've kind of walked right into them ourselves. Sometimes we get ourselves into that place. Um, Other times, God may lead us through difficult things that make us feel that way um, to cause us to fix our eyes on him and remind us that we do need him. Hebrews twelve says that the Lord disciplines those He loves, right? He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. But the psalmist here, regardless, he's crying out to the Lord from the depths, and whatever it is that's going on, it seems serious. He pleads with God to hear him. He says, "O Lord, hear my voice; let the ears, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy." He's in some kind of deep sorrow, whether because of affliction, conviction of sin, or his circumstances, and the psalmist needs Jesus. He needs God's mercy, and he's earnestly pleading here. You can tell that by the repetition, um, by the way he is speaking in this psalm. And there's something that we need to learn from that uh, as as we go forward through this. When you are in the depths, church, Do you cry out to the Lord earnestly like this? Do you? Or do you complain to people and pout? I mean, that that can be a natural reaction, right? Do you vent to your friends or to family or post things on social media? Or do you cry out to the Lord with all your heart? That's what we need to do. Sometimes we try to fix whatever it is on our own, right? We're in the depths, and and we try to climb out ourselves. We try maybe to do good works to make up for our sin that we're feeling conviction over. Um, We try to go and do fun things so that we don't feel down. Uh, We try a bunch of different medicines or doctors for our physical pain, and those things in themselves are not bad, okay? God has created us to do good works. We don't do good works to make up for our sin, though, And that doesn't hold the answer. Um, It doesn't erase sin. Only God can do that. And if you read your Bibles, you see God created us to enjoy creation. He created us to enjoy things. There's nothing wrong with going out and having fun. But if you end up seeking joy from created things instead of the Creator, you're going to come up empty in the end. We're supposed to delight ourselves in the Lord. And God has given us a wonderful gift in medicine. He has gifted Wonderful doctors with a lot of wisdom, you know, how to use medicine, how to perform surgeries, but the great healer is Jesus, not a doctor, not your medicine. So when you are in the depths, when we are in the depths, it is not that we should not do any of those things, but our first and foremost action should be to call earnestly to the Lord. Like, God, what, this thing, whatever it is, like, I need you. I need you. I can't do this on my own. I can't see a way out of this. I need you, Lord. Please hear me when I cry out to you. Hear my cry for mercy. That needs to be where we go. We go to the Lord and we earnestly cry for mercy. And I will confess that I do not pray like this nearly as often as I should. But turning to the Lord and crying out to Him is where we need to go. It's what we need to do when we are in the depths. So, in the next two verses here, uh, we see something both terrifying and something beautiful. Uh, The terrifying thing, it says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? So, the psalmist is saying, who can stand if the Lord looks at our sin? Right? What is the answer to this? Like, no one. Right? No one. Turn to Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, we'll start in verse 10. It says, As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. And then if you jump to verse 23, most of you probably have this memorized Romans three twenty three: for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God So who can stand before the Lord on their own? No one no one we cannot we are not righteous. We have a problem that problem is sin. We have fallen short And this is the terrifying part for humanity, right? No one can stand before the judge of the living and the dead And say that they are innocent You can't stand before God and say that you have the righteousness that you need, at least not on your own. Romans 6 tells us the wages of sin is death, so this is a problem for us. And then in this psalm, he follows directly, as you would if you're looking through Romans and the gospel, to the beautiful part. It says, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And the Hebrew word here used for forgiveness also means pardon. So our hope in standing before God is not anything we have done or we can do. It's not in a hope that we can justify ourselves. It's not in a hope that we can prove that we have not sinned. It's not in a hope that we can explain away why we have sinned. It is not in a hope that we can offer an apology to God for our sins. Our hope in standing before God is that he forgives and pardons sin because of what Jesus has done. Only because of what Jesus has done. Romans 6.23 does say the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we confess our sins to God and we believe in Jesus. In Christ alone our hope is found, church. The debt of sin, it was not just forgiven. Okay? It was not just forgiven. It was transferred, you could say, to Jesus. Jesus... He obeyed the Father and he voluntarily, he went and he took all of it upon himself and he paid it for you. Your sin was laid on Jesus, not on someone else. You didn't erase it yourself, it was laid on Jesus. He took it upon himself for you and he paid it for you on the cross. And now you get to stand both forgiven and righteous because Christ has given you his righteousness as Pastor Mike talked about at Reformation Wednesday the other night. So if you're this more, here this morning and you haven't trusted in Jesus, I, I encourage you, you can do so right now. Romans tells us in chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can be saved from your sin, saved from death, saved from hell. For with the heart one believes and is justified, is made right, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And and you can do that this morning. You can confess that you're a sinner and that you need to be saved. You can confess that Jesus is Lord and you can believe in Him. And I pray, if you have not, that you decide to do that. But to those of you who are in Christ, who have already done that, let me say this. When you're in the depths, crying out earnestly to the Lord, remember, his grace and mercy. Remember what he has done for you. Remember that your hope is found nowhere else but in Jesus. You don't stand before God condemned. You stand before God, your Father, who loves you, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's who's standing before God when you cry out. When you cry out to him. Don't forget what you were, but don't live there. Remember that you've been washed clean If you've been wallowing in the depths of sin and that guilt is hanging on to you, just confess it and cry out to the Lord because there is forgiveness. As he says, the psalmist says right here with you, there is forgiveness. So don't put it off. Cry out to the Lord this morning. And then worship. Okay? Remember what Jesus has done for you. All of you who have trusted in him and worship. It says with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Okay, so scripture is not talking about walking around afraid after you've been forgiven. The idea is not for this pardon you have been given to induce fear in you, but to produce reverence and awe and worship in you. When you see what Jesus has done for you, it should cause you to worship. It should cause you to stand in reverence and awe and astonishment it should lead you to worship and serve it should lead you to real reconciliation because you stood beneath a debt that you could never afford and Jesus paid it for you he took it for you you are free and you are free to worship so we move on to verses 5 and 6 it says i wait for the lord my soul waits and in his word i hope my soul waits for the lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. So there's a lot of repetition here, and Scripture does not repeat for no reason. There, there is a reason when they do that. There's a strong emphasis here that is put on waiting. But the word here um, is stronger than we tend to think of when, when we hear the word wait. The Hebrew word here means to wait or to look for, to hope, and to expect. The idea is that you're waiting with eager expectation. So the psalmist here has said he's in the depths, whatever those particular depths may be. He's cried out to the Lord earnestly for mercy, and he's asked God to answer. And he recognizes that it is not on the basis of anything he has done that allows him to do this. It's only the mercy and forgiveness of God. But he trusts, and after he's cried out, he waits. He says, I, I wait, my soul waits. He's committed to looking for and eagerly expecting God to hear his cries for mercy and act. He's not crying out and saying, well, maybe God will do something. Okay, he, he's eagerly waiting and expecting God to act. He's waiting with all his heart and his soul. And then he says, in his word, in God's word, he hopes. In God's word, I hope. His hope is in the promises of God. The psalmist believes that God will indeed answer because of what he knows of God in his word. Let me tell you, church, God cannot lie. Hebrews 6 says that. When he says something will come to pass, it will. It will. He cannot lie. And one of the things that you need to do when you are in the depths is you need to consume God's word. Satan lies to you, the world lies to you, and you know what? We lie to ourselves, even. You need to saturate yourself with the promises of God when you are in those dark and deep places of affliction, grief, despair, distress, and sin. And you've got to combat those lies that come at you by filling yourself up with God's word. psalmist says, In his word, I hope... And hope is another one of those words that we use way too often today and that does not carry the kind of weight that it should. We say things like, I hope the Cardinals will win tonight. Laura and I went to the Cardinals game the other day for her birthday, and we both said, I hope the Cardinals win tonight. I will not lie, I was very nervous that they were not going to win. Um, uh, There was not a lot of expectation in one sense there. Um, so we use it in a different way. We, we say it like that. Um, maybe we really want them to win, but we're not really sure if they're going to. Um, if there's any students in here, you maybe say things like, I hope I get a good grade on this test, even though I didn't really study and I don't feel very good about it. Um, you don't really think you're going to get a good grade. You just want one. We say things like, I hope it doesn't rain as we watch storm clouds rolling in on our picnic Really, we're saying, "Hey, I don't want it to rain because I don't want—I don't want our party here canceled." But when the Bible uses the word "hope," it's talking about something sure, okay? Something that we don't have yet, but we are certain to have. When the psalmist says, "In His Word I hope," he's saying he is certain of the Lord's promises, even though he doesn't have them yet. So it's not a maybe; it is a for sure, even though he does not yet have it. He is certain of God fulfilling His promises, of doing what He has said He is going to do. So when you're in the depths, and you cry out to the Lord, and then you wait on Him, you're you're eagerly expecting Him to come through for you, because you're consuming His word and His promises, and trusting that what He has promised to bring to pass, He will. That's what you need to do when you feel in those depths. And the psalmist says in verse 6, again, Or repetition, I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. And he he says that twice, and uh, theologian Albert Barnes says about the watchman in this phrase, he says, the idea is that of the watchers, or night guards, who look anxiously for the break of day that they may be relieved. It is not that of persons who simply look for the return of day, but of those who are on guard, or it may be who watch beside the sick or the dying, and who look out to the east to mark the first indications of returning light. To them the night seems long. They are weary. They want repose. All around is cheerless, gloomy, and still. And they long for the first signs that light will again visit the world. Thus an affliction the long, dark, dreary, gloomy night of sorrow, the sufferer looks for the first indication, the first faint ray of comfort to the soul. Thus, under deep conviction for sin and deep apprehension of the wrath of God, that night, the dark, dreary, gloomy, and often long, the soul looks for some ray of comfort that God will be merciful and will speak peace and pardon. If you've ever really been afflicted or if you've been in the depths of despair, you should relate to these watchmen and what, what Barnes just said. Do you long for those rays of light to break through the darkness? Do you long for the mercy and grace and peace of God to break forth into your life in the midst of your affliction, in the midst of your sin, or in the midst of your depression? If so, you're in the same spot as the psalmist here. That's what he's longing for. This psalm directly addresses you. Let's uh, finish off the last two verses here. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Church, he's saying, Hope in the Lord. We don't put our hope in other places. If we do, we end up disappointed. Our hope is not in America. Our hope is not in our government. Your hope is not in your family. It's not in doctors. It's not in medicine. It's not in money. It's not in your own strength. If you hope in any of those things, they will fail you. That is not where we put our hope. When you're surrounded by darkness and you're in the depths of affliction and distress, do not despair. Because even in the darkest night, even when things seem like they can't get any darker, when it seems like they can't get any worse, you are not left alone. Do not despair. You are not alone. You have a loving Father who cares for you. The morning will dawn, and the light will break through, and the night will end. Deliverance will come at some point. Remember what hope means. We are certain of something that we will have, but do not yet possess. Our hope is in the Lord that he will deliver us. He will deliver you. In what timing and in what manner, I do not know. I am not God. And you are not either. But deliver you, he will. He will deliver you. You can be absolutely sure of that if you are in Jesus. How do I know this? How do we know? This right here. Because of God's promises, even if, if, even if it's going to be at the very end. The answer for your situation, it might come miraculously, and it might come soon, and it might astound everyone. Or the answer for your situation may take years, or even longer. But if it does, remember that you are not alone. Christ will hold you fast, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will provide a way out. That's what he says in his word. You need to cling to his promises. However long it takes and whatever form it comes, we can be sure deliverance will come. One day, God will make all things new. I want to read from Revelation chapter 21. Anytime I'm discouraged, I go and I, I read Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Deliverance will come. I don't know when that will be, but the night will not last forever. And one day, you aren't going to have any more pain. You won't have any more crying. There will be no more suffering. There are no no more depression there will be no more sin you will be with the lord and it will be a glorious day and that day is the future for all of god's children all of you who are in christ whatever tears you have now your father is going to wipe them away hallelujah right so the psalmist continues and he says with the lord there is steadfast love there is steadfast love in verse seven. This is the word that Pastor Mike often talks about. Um, anyone remember what it's called? Hesed. That's right, Hesed. God's Hesed love. There is loving kindness that we can't even wrap our minds around. You are crying out when you when you do this. When you cry out to the Lord from the depths, you're crying out to the One who is full of goodness, who is full of kindness and faithfulness and you're crying out as his son you are crying out as his daughter and he is full of loving kindness steadfast love hesed love and that is an awesome reason to hope church psalmist also says that with him there is plentiful redemption plentiful redemption there's abundant redemption it's not limited it's not exhausted it cannot be whatever you have done There is forgiveness and pardon and redemption in him. You might feel like because of what you have done or because of things that have happened that your marriage is hopeless. That is not true. God can save it. He can redeem it. You might feel like some of your relationships with friends or family are messed up and that there's no hope of repair. That is not true, church. There is plentiful redemption in Jesus. And you might feel like you've been stuck in sin for too long and that you can't get out, that there is no hope, that is also a lie, because there is abundant redemption in Christ. Your pit is not too deep. The depths you are in are not out of reach of Jesus. God is going to redeem his people from all their sins. His people, his children. He will completely deliver you from the power and the pollution of sin this is going to be ultimately accomplished that day when he makes all things new that we just read about in Revelation earlier. But he can deliver you today too. You don't have to stay stuck in sin. And if you look at the beginning and the end of this psalm, it begins with the psalmist crying out from the depths and it ends with the triumphant hope of complete and eternal deliverance begins in despair, it ends in hope and deliverance. This is a psalm of hope. Psalm 130 is a psalm of hope, not just one to show us that there is hope, but to show us what to do when we are in despair, to show us what we should do to put our hope in God. We don't pretend like everything's just fine when it's not. That doesn't work. We recognize, hey, I'm in a bad spot. I'm in the depths. I'm in a pit. We recognize that and then we cry out to the Lord. We cry out earnestly. We cry out, God, hear my cry for mercy and hear my voice. And we remember who we are apart from Jesus and remember that great redemption we have in him. And because of Jesus, there is forgiveness and we can come before God as his children. And so knowing that, we cry out and then we wait. Church, you wait. We worship and we wait. And I'm sure the psalmist didn't just cry out once, like, well, I cried out, I'm done. If he's in the pits of despair, if he's in the depths, he is crying out repeatedly and waiting for the Lord, expecting God to answer. There is hope and loving kindness and redemption for you, church. Whatever depths you're facing this morning, whatever comes at you in the coming months, remember this psalm. There is hope There is loving kindness and abundant redemption and deliverance in the Lord. So in closing, um, some application here for us. In case you didn't get it, if you are in a dark place, if you are in the depths, you don't have to hide that and pretend everything is fine. You don't have to come into church and pretend that life is beautiful and everything is right. You don't have to do that. It doesn't help. If you're in Christ, your life shouldn't look fake, but it should show what it looks like to walk in hope in the midst of darkness and distress. So if you're there, come in here, cry out to the Lord, um, ask your brothers and sisters to pray with you, and uh, we'll help you walk in hope. God will help you walk in hope. But second, if you're in that place, you need to cry out to Jesus. If you're there, when you are crying out for mercy— Ask Him for what you want. Too often, we don't cry out to the Lord for what we really want because we are afraid. We're afraid that He won't hear us. Or we're afraid that He's not going to grant us what we ask, so we think it's safer to ask for something else instead. Ask the Lord from those depths for what is really on your heart. You can trust him to give you what you need when you ask. If he thinks whatever you're asking for won't be good for you, you can trust him not to give it because he's a good father. But you cry out and you ask him for what it is that's on your heart that you need. Um, Thirdly, if you have sinned, repent. Okay, that's it's pretty simple, right? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. First John. If you've sinned, repent. Confess it. Turn away from it. And remember what Jesus has done for you. Turn away from the sin and walk in the light. Fourth, if you're in those depths, church, get yourself into God's Word. I don't, if, if you're not in the depths, get yourself in God's Word. But if you're there, you need to be in God's Word. You need to be constantly... Being reminded of the promises of God. Reading about how God has provided for and taken care of his people. Seeing his character and how he loves. You need to be communing with your Heavenly Father. You need to be in the Word. And lastly, if you are in the depths and you have done those things, wait on the Lord. Expect to see him move. Remember the word hope, it is certainty. Be on the lookout for those first rays of light. You need to expect God to answer, not throw out a prayer and then go on like He isn't going to hear you. Be waiting and looking and expecting to see Him move in your life because He loves you. He hears you and He cares for you. And while you're waiting, worship. Go to church and sing with all the strength you can muster might not be a lot some days. Seeing with all the strength you can muster. Your hope is not in your situation. It is in your God. Go to church and serve God with reverence. Go to church and expect him to work through his people because he does. He works through his people. Expect him to work in your life. God is real. He is here. We're in his courts this morning. We are in his presence. He works in your life. We're not gathering here on Sunday mornings just for fun. I I do enjoy being with you all, but we don't come here for fun. We aren't gathering because it's a tradition or a habit. We gather to meet with and worship our holy God and heavenly Father. We gather to lift up the name of Jesus together. And when we gather to do these things, the Holy Spirit works and speaks through his people, and they minister to each other He speaks through his word. He speaks through the songs. He speaks through his people. So open up and put yourself in a position to see that light break forth as you worship and as you wait. Hope in the Lord, church. There truly is loving kindness and plentiful redemption in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that when we cry out to you, you hear us. We thank you that because of Jesus, we can stand before you not as enemies, but as your children. Because of Jesus, we can stand before you not as those who are condemned for their sin, but as those who are washed clean and counted as righteous. We ask this morning that if there is anyone here who doesn't stand as your son or your daughter, if there's anyone here who has not trusted in you, Jesus, we ask you to save them. Open the eyes of their heart that they may see their need for you. Save them.